Now, today we're in part two of our Seek First series. And this series is based on something that Jesus told his followers to do in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So this is our theme verse. And this is a verse that we as a church are trying to memorize. And I'm curious, has anybody started memorizing? All right, it looks like three of us have started. So this is going to be a lot of fun because we have a pop quiz today. And we're going to see how we're doing at memorizing this. Uh, If you're new, you're off the hook. If you were here last week, just kind of mumble along. If you know this verse, please participate and fill in the blanks. So you'll see some blanks that are up here. These are the words of Jesus. So we're going to read this out loud together. If you know what's in that blank, just kind of shout it out. If you don't, just participate in other ways. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So great job. So we're going to keep working on that each week. And each week, you'll notice there'll be more words removed. And we'll have more opportunities to practice this and apply this. Uh, I think it was uh, King David talked about the importance of hiding God's word in our heart. This is a way we can do that. When we memorize that stuff, we can actually use it uh, when we need it. And this is a powerful promise from Jesus. So Jesus promises when we seek God and his kingdom above everything else in our lives, God will take care of all of our needs. We're going to have a lot of needs this year. We're going to have a lot lot of needs the year after that, and five years from now, 10 years from now. We're going to have a lot of needs in our lives. So when we put God first, he'll take care of all of our needs. Last week, we said that seeking the kingdom of God above all else in our lives involves allowing God to rule and reign in every area of our lives. So I'm curious today, and we talked a lot about this last week. Last week was a really heavy message. If you missed it, maybe that was a good thing because it was kind of heavy. And we asked ourselves, uh, is God really in control of every area of our lives? Have have we let God rule and reign over every specific area of our lives? Are are there any areas of our lives where we've said, you know, God, that's off limits? Like you can have, you know, 90% control of my life, but that 10%, no, it's mine. Or is God really king over all of our lives? So we should live that way today. We shouldn't wait for Jesus to come back and say, okay, now you can be king over my life. We should let God be king over every area of our lives today. Last week, we also said that one of the ways that we could seek God in his kingdom first, especially at the beginning of the year, is through the ancient spiritual discipline of fasting. We talked a lot about biblical fasting last week. And if you're new to that concept Biblical fasting is about the idea, it's about the practice of giving up food for spiritual reasons. And you might be interested to know that Jesus actually expected that his followers would fast. Listen to what he said in Matthew 6, verse 16. This is a few verses before our theme verse here. So he had a large crowd of followers around him, and he said this. He said, when you fast. So he didn't say if you fast. He said, when you fast, and then he went on to explain how he wants us to fast. There's a way to fast. There's a way to fast that brings honor and glory to God. There's a way to fast that brings honor and glory to ourselves. God says, I don't want you to fast that way. That's what Jesus said. So I want you to fast in a way that brings honor and glory to God. If you do, 
God will reward you. So in verse 16, he continues and he says, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair. Some of us, that's hard to do. But, you know, like I could comb my face and obey Jesus there. But we can all wash our faces, right? So comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So Jesus promises. He says, listen, if you fast and engage a fast in a God-honoring way, not to get attention from other people, not because you want somebody, you know, on Monday when you walk into work, because you're dragging yourself in, you look like you slept in your clothes and your hair's all messed up, and you're wondering if somebody will just ask you, what's wrong with you? So that you can answer and say, well, I'm fasting, and they think you're spiritual. Great, Jesus goes, awesome, go for it. That's your reward. But if you're not after that kind of reward, like you really want God to do something in your life, just live life normal. And I know normal is different for all of us, but just live life the way you normally would. Don't bring attention to yourself. Bring attention to God. Focus on what you're doing in your relationship with him, and God will reward you. Again, it's a promise that we can hold on to as we walk through this fast. Now, um, several things that we talked about last week that can help us get ready for our fast. Number one is our fasting preparation guide. And we have hard copies of this available at our Connection Center. So if you're here on campus and you'd like to pick up one, stop by our Connection Center before you leave. If you've got a smartphone, uh, you can take a picture of this QR code. You can do that if you're watching online. You can take a picture of that as well. And you can go directly to our fasting preparation guide. I encourage you to spend some time reading through that before we begin our fast. It'll help prepare you spiritually, mentally, and even physically. Then we have, for those who are on campus, we have our fasting cards. So there should be some on your seats. I encourage you to grab one of these. And if you're watching online, we'll have a way for you to participate as well when it comes to this. On one side of this card, it's got our two big questions. What are you fasting from and what are you fasting for? So we need to have a reason for our fast. Like, what is the spiritual reason that we are fasting? Are you fasting because you need God to answer a question that you have? Are you fasting because you need direction from God? Are you fasting because you want a closer relationship with God? Why are you fasting? So we need to decide that. And then we need to decide what we're fasting from. So what do you want to give up while we're fasting? I encourage everyone to pick at least one food-related item and then pick one activity-related item. So food-related item could be you could give up all food for two weeks. Doesn't that sound super fun? (laughs) Like There are some folks that will do that. Um, You could give up uh, desserts. You could give up one meal a week. You could give up uh, food for one day in this uh, series or two days in this series. There's all kinds of things that you could fast from. Now, medically, for some people, like, hey, giving up food is a really hard thing. But I guarantee you, there's something. Maybe there's some special dessert that you enjoy or you're a, you have a sweet tooth or there's something that you really enjoy in the food category. You could give that up for two weeks. There's also an activity that you could give up. Could be time on social media, could be um, time uh, watching movies, or there's all kinds of things that you could do. Now, like I said last week, I know some people that are fasting from negative comments. 
We can't fast negative thoughts, but we can sure fast what comes out of our mouths if we catch it before it comes out of our mouths, and fasting can help us learn to do that. So again, I encourage you to fast one food item at least, and then one activity item. If you are watching online, I encourage you to tell us what you're fasting from. So you can just uh, email us at prayer at theepicchurch.com, and we will add you to our prayer list. So for those who are on campus, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to turn in these cards next week. So we'll have cards available for all of us. We're going to ask you to turn these in so that we can be praying for you. Our elders, our prayer team, our staff will be praying for you every day through this fast. You don't have to write your name on it if you don't want us to know who you are. If you do want us to know that, feel free to write your name. But this is a great way to help us get ready for the fast. Then Last thing we talked about last week are our notebooks. So we've got these notebooks that are available at the back of each seating section. They're available at our Connection Center. I encourage you to to pick up one of these. And this is a great place to kind of capture your thoughts, what you're fasting from, what you're fasting for, capture anything that God might be saying to you as you walk through this fast. Uh, These can be a great resource, especially as you uh, practice fasting year after year like we have as a church. You can look back on these things and see what God has been doing in your life. So another great resource we want to make sure you have as we walk through this. Now, our fast starts on January the 17th. It's going to end on January the 30th. So again, just two weeks. And because of some scheduling conflicts, we were planning a night of worship on January the 30th. Well, we've moved that from January the 30th to February the 6th on Sunday morning. So you don't have to mark your calendar. You don't have to get childcare if you need that. Just come Sunday morning. We're going to have a worship service. We're going to have communion service. And we're going to have a time of sharing, a time of sharing. It'll be different than what we typically do. But it'll be a great opportunity for us to hear and share what God is doing in us and through us as we walk through this time of fasting. So I hope that you'll be a part of that with us. Now, since I talked a whole lot last week about fasting, I'm not going to talk much about fasting today. Again, I encourage you, if you're interested in that, pick up our fasting preparation guide, listen to our message from last week, and you'll um, be caught up to speed on that. But today, we're going to talk about pursuing a closer relationship with God. Fasting can actually help us do that. And I'm curious, as we begin, how many of you have ever wished that you were closer to God? Anybody ever wish that? A lot of hands. Anybody ever wish that God felt closer to you? Anybody in that category? All right, those are two different things. We're going to talk about those two different categories today. But closeness to God is something that people have desired for a long time. And if you think back to the beginning of human history, you think about Adam, you think about Eve and the relationship that they had. They had an amazing relationship with God. They had this very close relationship where he would come and teach them the best possible ways to live until they rebelled against him. What did they do when they rebelled against him? They ran and hid. They felt a distance because they ran away from him. They desired that close relationship, but they knew they had done something that hurt the relationship with God, and it broke that closeness that they once had. Uh, Even other leaders like Moses had an amazing relationship with God, but felt some distance in several different parts of his journey. King David, whom God described as a man after God's own heart, felt a distance from God on several different occasions. We're going to explore one of those today. So people have pursued a closer relationship with God for a very long time. And I think there are several primary reasons why God feels distant. The first primary reason is when we do something that makes us feel guilty, when when we sin 
in some way. Another reason is it's not when we have sinned, but there are moments it just feels like God has stepped away from us. It feels like God is, is silent, and that is really hard to, to understand what's going on in those moments. So again, we're going to explore those two things today, but we're going to start with uh, those moments when we have done something to step away from God. So I want to see if you can identify with this crazy cycle that happens in my life. So here's what happens when I do something and it hurts my relationship with God, whether small or big, the Bible actually calls that as sin. So anything we do that hurts our relationship with God uh, is called sin. When I sin, I feel bad. I feel shame. I feel guilt. And what I do is I step away from God because I feel unworthy in my relationship with him. And then I feel like I have to pay for my sin in some way. And the way that I feel like I have to pay for my sin is through good behavior over an extended period of time. So I feel like, you know, if I like try to get back in a right relationship with God and I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm doing all the right things that I need to do to be in a right relationship, things that I know that God would be happy with. If I do that over an extended period of time, I feel like I can finally step a little bit closer to God, finally step even more closer and I can get back into a a right relationship with God and I feel good about that until what happens? I sin again. You followed me around. Till I sin again. I give in to temptation. I make some stupid choice. And then I feel bad. And I step back. I step away from God. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I should be in a right relationship with him. I don't feel like he should pour out his grace for me until I pay for my sin. And I feel like I can earn my way back into a right relationship. So anybody else identify with that crazy cycle? All right. Yeah, that, that is a common human condition that affects all of us. Uh, But listen to this powerful truth, because I think God wants to break that cycle. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 12 down to verse 20. And this is going to feel like a lot of reading, but there's uh, a lot of powerful truth that we have to understand as we're getting to verse 20. And we're going to hang out in verse 20 for a minute. So we're starting verse 12. Verse 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Guess what? That's you. That's me. That's all of us. Everybody has sinned. Verse 13, yes, people sinned even before the law was given. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking about the law here. The law talks about all the Old Testament rules and regulations for how to have a right relationship with God. And those were given uh, to Moses. And so uh, Paul's saying that, that people sinned even before the law was given. Then he says, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result, yes, we should say hallelujah to that. Verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace in his gift of righteousness for all who received it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So great, powerful truth. Now, let's explore verse 20. Verse 20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. If, if you've ever wondered, like, what's the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of all those rules and regulations in the Old Testament that God wanted people to follow? The purpose was to prove we're sinful. The purpose was to prove we can't live up to God's standards. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was the only one who could live up to God's standards. Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly. And he did that. We can't do it, but Jesus could do it. The law just shows that we're sinful. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. We're going to camp out right there for just a few minutes. Now, the way to say this is as we sinned, our sin caused God to step closer and pour out more of his grace. So let that sink in. Often what we think happens when we sin is we sin, we feel bad, we pull away. We know what that's like, but we think God pulls away. We think God steps back, he's disappointed, he's angry, he's upset with us, he's ready to punish us. And that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that when we sin, God steps closer to pour out more of his grace. The more we sin, guess what happens? The more God's grace is poured out. We sin again, God's grace is poured out. We sin again, God's grace gets poured out more. We really need to absorb that reality, the truth of that. That is life-changing information there. If you're a Christ follower, again, that should break the cycle. That should break that sin cycle that we experience in our lives. If you aren't a Christ follower, that truth should change change your perspective of what it means to have a relationship with God and what he does with your sin. Now, for those of you who are thinking, this is great news because it means I can just sin all day long. Like, I can sin more. Like, this is wonderful. I can go sin this afternoon and God's just going to pour out more grace. This is awesome. If you think that way, there were people in Paul's day who thought that way. But listen to what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So very symbolic language that Paul is using here. So when we go through the process of baptism, after putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we we follow that up through baptism. And when we go under the water, that's symbolizing us dying to our old lives. 
when we come out of the water, it's symbolizing us being resurrected, being raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Again, it's very symbolic. That's what he's talking about there. And he continues and says, as, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So I encourage you to, to read Romans 5, read Romans 6 later today. There's so much in those two chapters. But in summary, Paul says, because of God's grace and our unity with Christ, we don't have to give in to sin on a regular basis. We don't have to. We can actually learn how to sin less. That does not mean we will be sinless. It's not possible. Only Jesus can pull that off. Only Jesus pulled off a sinless life. But guess what? We can pull off learning how to sin less and break that sin cycle in our lives. So when we sin, we shouldn't step away from God feeling guilty, shame, unworthy. We should step towards God. Why? Because God is stepping towards us. He's not stepping away from us. He's not super angry and, and so disappointed he's ready to punish us. No, he steps towards us. He pours out grace. What is his grace intended to do? It's intended to turn us from sin. That's what God's grace is all about. And when we truly experience God's grace, we should say, like, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I don't want to keep going down that same path that always lends a, it ends me up in that ditch. I just don't want to do that anymore. So God, in your grace, teach me how not to do that. And through his grace, he will. The purpose of God's grace is intended to turn us from sin. So the greatest thing that some of us can do to feel closer to God is repent. Repent of our sin. And repent is this biblical term that basically means to turn from. It means I'm, I'm going to turn from that thing and I'm going to turn to God. I'm not going to embrace that thing and feel so bad about it, and then I'm just going to step away from God with this thing, saying, well, I, I can't ever get away from this. No, I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to acknowledge, God, I blew it. Anybody else blow it this past week besides me? So instead of like just wallowing in that, I'm not worthy, I'm not good, we, we step towards God. I blew it. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you for your grace. I'm going to work on not doing that next time. That's the path that God has for us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Isn't that amazing truth? When we come to God and say, God, I blew it. He goes, I know. Thanks for admitting it. So come here and let me like, clean you up. Let me help you. Wonderful news. He pours out grace on us. Listen to the Old Testament prophet Joel. In Joel 2, verse 12, he says, that is why the Lord says, these are the words of the Lord, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. That was a practice in ancient days. When people were grieved over sin or grieved over something that happened in their lives, they would tear their clothes, and it was an outward demonstration of their sorrow. And God says, don't tear your clothes. Tear your heart. Like, be deeply grieved over what you've done. Be, be grieved over that sin that separates us. And return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. 
Our God's not sitting up in heaven like, can't wait to punish them again. He's not saying that. He's saying, I can't wait to pour out more grace. So what should we do when we sin? We should run to him. Who's the one that's going to help us? It's God. So we should run to him to receive more of that grace and break that crazy sin cycle that we all have. So again, for some of us, the greatest thing we can do to feel a closer relationship with God is to repent. And I wonder today, is there anything you need to repent of? Is there anything that you know of that you're doing that doesn't honor God? Is there any relationship that you're in, you know that relationship doesn't honor God? Any activity that you're engaged in on a regular basis doesn't honor God? You want to feel a closer relationship to him? Repent. Tell him you're sorry. Turn from that. Receive his grace. He's pouring it out. He's waiting for you to swim in it. So step towards him, not away from him. The second way that we sometimes feel distant from God is when it feels like God has stepped away from us. And there, there are times for, I think, all of us in, in a relationship with God where you feel like, you know, I, I can't identify any specific thing that I've done or I'm currently doing, and yet it feels like God's not here feels like God's not close or he's not speaking to me. And if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. A lot of people have felt that way. Even King David, who God said was a man after his own heart. David felt that way on several occasions. And he poured out his heart to God. He poured out his heart to God in Psalms 13. This is a powerful passage for us to read together. Listen to what David said. David said, oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Like, how long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle of my eyes or I will die. And don't let my enemies gloat saying like, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. I love David's honesty there. And I'm curious. Has anybody else ever cried out to God and said, God, where are you? Anybody? Don't worry. God knows. He's not going to you know, strike you down for your honesty. David was honest. David was very honest. And so if you're in that spot, one of the things I encourage you to do is be like David. Pour out your heart to God. Don't be afraid. God's not going to punish you for crying out to him. Just pour out your heart to him. Uh, 15 years ago, my wife came down with a chronic illness that took her from being healthy to being almost bedridden overnight. And she walked with a cane for many years, was in a lot of pain uh, for a lot of years, still battles some of that. And for two and a half years, we couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. We went from doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist. We went to Shan's uh, hospital twice in Gainesville. And we heard a lot of doctors say, well, we uh, can tell you what you don't have, but we can't tell you what you do have. We're not sure. Good luck. And after walking away from uh, many doctors and feeling like, okay, maybe this doctor will give us an answer. Maybe this doctor will give us an answer. Uh, we began to lose hope. So there were many nights where my wife and I would cry out to God. In desperation, we would say, God, where are you? Like, it feels like you've stepped away. 
Like, why have you stepped away? Like, we don't sense that we're doing anything wrong in our relationship with you. Like, where are you at? And we, we poured out our hearts to God. And again, I know some of you know what that's like. We weren't, aren't alone on that journey. I've talked to many of you in your journeys, and I know that some of you are battling your own health issues, or you've got a loved one battling a health issue, or you've been asking God to work in your situation for a very long time, and it feels like God's silent, God's not, not working in your life. You wonder where he's at. Like a lot of us can identify with that. Now, God has, has done some, some really cool things on our journey. At two and a half years, God gave us an answer, but my wife is still on her journey. But I know that many of us can identify with what it's like for God to feel distant in those moments. And I want you to notice what David said next when he felt that. So he, he's saying, God, where are you? I need you to turn and answer me. And then in verse five, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. It's a major shift right there. It looks like he's going to keep going down this path of, of crying out to God. And then he pauses and he calms himself down. And he reminds himself that God loves him. He says, I, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So in the middle of David crying out, saying, God, where are you? God, I need you to answer me. In the middle of that, he goes, wait a minute, time out. David, let me remind myself. God hasn't left. He's still here. He still loves me. He's still working. He's still active. And I love how David puts this. So he puts God's rescue in past tense. So he doesn't say, I, I, I will worship you and praise you because one day you're going to rescue me. No, David says, I will praise you because you have rescued me. Amen. You've done it. And like, it's happened. Like, I don't know like, how this is going to happen, when this is going to happen, but God, you're in charge. You're in complete control. You're going to work this out. And I trust you to work this out. So I think there's a, another powerful truth that comes out of Psalms 13. And I can't take credit for this next statement. Somebody else said it. Um, I can't remember who said it, but listen to this. We should never mistake God's silence for God's absence. We should never mistake God's silence for God's absence. Just because God is silent, that doesn't mean God is absent. So listen to these promises from scripture, from God. Hebrews chapter 13, and this is God speaking, says, I will never fail you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God says, listen, I'm never going to leave you. Like, I'll always be with you. And then Jesus, speaking to his disciples before going back to heaven, says this. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then God, through the Apostle Paul, says in Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So if you're a Christ follower, you have God the Father always with you. You have God the Son always with you. And you have God the Holy Spirit living inside of you. All right, there's like three people real excited about that truth. That truth should change how you live. It should change how I live. It should change how we feel and how we respond in those moments when we feel like God is silent. Again, we should never mistake God's silence for God's absence. God is not absent. God is always with you. 
God is working. You may not see his work. You may not know what he's doing in that moment, but he's working. He's not sleeping. He's going to take care of you. He's going to work in your situation in some powerful ways, and we have to trust that. So on January the 17th, we're going to start our fast. And if you're fasting for a closer relationship with God, I recommend you do one of two things. And maybe the first thing that you need to do is repent. Again, maybe there's something that you know of that you, you need to fix in your relationship with God. You've got to turn away from that thing. You've got to turn to God, receive his grace and his mercy, and when you stumble, get up again and keep running towards him to learn how to overcome that specific thing. Now, if you can't think of anything, like I, I don't think in our relationship with God, like we need to scour our lives and, and think like, okay, what is it? Like, oh, is, do I feel this distance? Because when I was in the third grade, I sold that pencil from that classmate. Like, oh, God is punishing me because of that. I don't think we need to do that. If you are actively sinning, you know it. You know it. Like you feel it right now. Like if that's your life right now, you know what that thing is. So deal with that thing. If you don't have active sin in your life, then, then maybe what you do is you try to pursue this closer relationship with God is, is do what David did. Remind yourself that even though God might be silent, he's still working. You can still praise him. You can praise him in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the uncertainty, in the middle of the silence. You can still praise him because he is still good. He is still God. He is still in control. And he's going to work in your situation. And then one day he'll reveal it. And you'll see it. You can trust him for that. Now, there's one more thing that some of us may need to do to feel a closer relationship with God. And maybe the distance you feel between you and God is because you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you've grown up in a religious system where you felt like a relationship with God was based upon you checking off a bunch of lists and, and doing right things, and you're understanding today it's not about us doing right things. It's about us living in this relationship of God's grace. And maybe today you sense God calling you to him, or maybe you've not had a relationship with him before, but you didn't really grow up in, in church or a faith system that taught you anything about this, and maybe today you're sensing that you need to start a relationship with him. The way you start a relationship with God is by answering the door. So listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Revelations 3.20, he said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The reality is for all of us, Jesus stands at the door of all of our hearts and he knocks and he waits He's a gentleman. He's not going to kick the door of your heart open. He waits, and he wants to know, do we want a relationship with him? If we do, we got to go to the door. we got to open the door. we got to let him into our lives. Let him transform our lives. And I think the way that we can answer the door is through what I call the ABC prayer of salvation. Now, let me explain this. This is not the secret code. You could pray these words every day of your life, and it mean nothing for all of eternity. You could pray words similar to this one time, and it means everything for you because you mean it and you know what it stands for. So ABC Prayer, ABC Prayer of Salvation stands for this. A, admit you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus came as a savior. If you don't need a savior, then you're saying, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to get to heaven on my own. But we can't. You can't get to heaven on your own. It's not possible. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Whether you've sinned in small ways, you've sinned in big ways, 
We all are sinners in need of a savior. And then B, we gotta believe that Jesus is that savior who died so that you can live. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We have to believe that Jesus is that savior. And he came and died on the cross. So think, if, if Jesus didn't need to die and we could earn our way to, to heaven on our own, Jesus wouldn't have gone through the agony of that. He would have come down and given a big pep rally and said, keep trying, one day you can get there. But we can't. So he came down and said, listen, stop trying. You can't get there on your own. You keep trying to follow all these rules thinking that's gonna help you get a relationship with God. It's not gonna work for you. Believe in me, I've done it for you. Put your faith and trust in me and then learn to follow my example. So we've got to believe in Jesus. And then see, we've got to commit our lives to follow him. We've got to say, I'm in. Jesus, not only do I believe, not only am I admitting, but Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to learn what it means to follow you every day. When I fall, I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep following you. So I, I think when we pray something like this, God knows the sincerity of our hearts. And then we have access to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they begin to teach us how to live in that relationship. So if you need to start a relationship with God because you feel some distance from him and you don't have a relationship with him, I I encourage you to have that conversation with him today. Now, in just a minute, our worship team is going to close us in kind of a new song for us. Uh, it's, it's called Closer. And it talks about desiring a closer relationship with God. And if uh, you're in like that first category that we talked about today and, and you need to repent, I encourage you during this song, I encourage you to repent. Tell God what you've done. Don't step away from him. Step towards him. If you're in that second category, and you can't think of anything that you've done wrong, and yet you sense this distance, tell God you trust him. Tell God you know he's going to work in your life, and you trust that he's working behind the scenes. You're going to be like David. You're going to rejoice in him and his unfailing love, even if you can't see what he's doing. Just remind yourself, and then tell him. And if you're in that third spot, and you need a relationship with God because you don't have one, I encourage you during this song, talk to him about that. Begin that relationship today. If you would like to talk more after the service about anything we've talked about today, um, I encourage you to stop by our care center before you leave on your way out on the left-hand side in our lobby. We've got some amazing people there. I'd love to pray with you and help you in any way that we can. I'll be in our lobby as well. I'd love to have a deeper conversation, maybe a, a prayer time with you if that's what you need to step closer to God. So I'm going to ask all of us to bow our heads and pray together, and then we're going to listen to this reflective song and encourage you to talk to God in whatever way is meaningful to you. Jesus, we thank you for this powerful truth that you've given us in Matthew 6, 33, that if we seek God in his kingdom above everything else in our lives, we live righteously. You're going to take care of all of our needs. We have a lot of needs in our lives. But one of those needs is a closer relationship with you. Lord, I know that sometimes that distance happens because we've messed up. We've done something to hurt our relationship with you. And and Lord, I pray that today, the truth that we've been learning, 
that when we sin, you step closer to pour out more grace because your, your grace is intended to turn us from sin. My prayer is that that will break that sin cycle that we have. And Lord, I know that we'll continue to sin, but we can learn how to sin less. And we can learn how to step towards you, receive your grace, apply it to our lives, and turn from those things that create that division in our relationship with you. Lord, there's other times where we can't find anything that we've done. It just feels like you've kind of turned your back. It feels like you're silent. I'm so grateful for David and, and how he poured out his heart, how he shared, how he felt in that moment. And I'm grateful that David reminded himself and reminds us still today that in the midst of the chaos, we can still remember you're always with us. We can remind ourselves of your unfailing love, that you've not stepped away. You may be silent, but you're never absent from our lives. And Lord, today there just might be somebody here, might be somebody watching online who wants to start a relationship with you. Lord, you're standing at the door of their heart and you're knocking. I pray today is the day that they go to that door and they unlock it, they open it, they invite you in to be their personal Lord and Savior. And we're grateful for the promise of scripture that when that happens, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. We start a relationship with Jesus. We start a relationship with God the Father that will last for eternity and we'll get to benefit from today. So I pray for those folks who might need to make that decision. Lord, we desire a closer relationship with you and I know you desire that from us more than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.